it was still awesome to be in San Francisco. Um, I mean, you go downstairs. If you don't feel like going out, just walk around the block because it's so exciting. And that's when I actually got a taste for loving theater is we would, there used to be a columnist in the Chronicle named Herb Kane, and he would always write about the great restaurants, the happenings in San Francisco. And my best friend was living in this studio next door, and we would, when we, we would pick out of his column what to go see. So we started to go see theater and made a commitment to at least once a month go see some live events. That was Susie Damalano, one of the co-founders of San Francisco Playhouse. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco, a podcast all about the artists, activists, and small businesses that make this city unique. Susie and her husband, Bill English, check all the boxes of the kinds of people we want to highlight on this show. I sat down to record with them in their office at San Francisco Playhouse located on Post Street near Union Square back in early November. As I was setting up, the theater dog, Emmy, approached me. A yellow lab whose eyes almost prevented me from carrying on with our recording that day, Emmy is short for empathy, which, as we'll hear in part two this Thursday, is a huge part of the mission of SF Playhouse. Here's Susie, followed by her husband, Bill. I am from the South Bay. I grew up down there. I was originally born in Germany. My mom's German. My whole family's German, but she moved over here with some sisters when I was little. Can I I ask where in Germany? Heidelberg. Oh, I know Heidelberg. I haven't been. I spent some time in Wiesbaden. Oh, Wiesbaden. My grandmother was um, born there. Another U.S military city yeah. presence yeah, yeah, place yeah. like Heidelberg. Yeah, yeah, Heidelberg had a base across the street from where we lived. Okay. Um, and many of my aunties married American servicemen because they had um, seven sisters oh. and all of them are very attractive. So wow. that's how we all ended up coming to America because, with the exception of my mom. She was with... Um, a German. Okay. But anyway, so we grew up down in Silicon Valley before it was Silicon Valley. It was right. full of orchards and flowers. And oh. um, I cut through an orchard to get to school. Nice. And they have seasons down there, right? Unlike us. Unlike it, gets, it gets warm. It gets warm. Oh, it gets way warmer down there. And a little colder in the winter? No. Mm, it gets frosty, but yeah. I, I mean, I think in the 70s it snowed. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think it snowed here. I mean, I wish it would snow again. I think I was in, I'm not going to say when I, what grade I was in, but I remember it snowing and thinking that's pretty cool if it snows every 10 years, whatever. It's Something. How amazing would it be to be in San Francisco with some snow? Yeah. But, um, yeah. So you, you cut through an orchard, you said, to get to school. Yeah. Okay, that's fun. Yeah, now it's housing. Fun. Right. But um, right. Okay. that's how the Silicon Valley started. It was orchards, apricots, cherries, all of that. It's just always been a fertile valley. Mm-hmm. And everything that's been there, even if it stops being the hot thing, some other hot thing comes in, as we've seen through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, me being one... No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I have to throw that in there. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so then... So I, I was raised um, there and not at all a theater or arts kid. Um, 
can we kind of place at least a decade of some of your main growing up years? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I'm probably a product, I graduated high school at the end of the 70s. Okay. And, um, yeah. I'm so a, you did some growing up in, toward the end of the 70s, maybe early 80s kind of thing? Yeah. Young for adult. Sure, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Young adult in the 70s and 80s. And the thing I'm always curious about with folks who grew up in the Bay Area and then ended up in San Francisco, like as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, did you come to San Francisco? What did you think of to that me, place up yeah. there? <laughs> San Francisco for me was always a dream of going to the big city. Okay. And my... I would listen to stories from my parents um, of like racing down the hills or, you know, being escorted home by policemen. Oh, yes. Uh, back then, the police apparently were not pulling you over for DUIs. They were helping you get home. <laughs> oh, benevolent. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's back in the Frank Sinatra days that my right. parents were, were growing up where it was cool to smoke, cool to have martinis mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. But, um, so all the stories of San Francisco were always very exciting. Yeah. And in high school, a girlfriend and I, we, she had a car, so we would, a fun night would be us driving up to San Francisco and, um, like going to Polk street that Mm -hmm. used to be more the Castro Mm -hmm. area Mm -hmm. and, and it, but it would change as you went along each block of what it was Mm. and until you were at the end of it. I can't even tell you the details, but we would start at one end and just slowly drive. And um, we just thought it was so fun. And we'd try to get into the restaurants and bars, but we were 16. Too young. So oh, even <laughs> then. We, I had her make a bun on the top of her hair because she. We, I said, you look older. Put the bun on and then we'll go in. And you get in first and then I'll come in. But yes. it never worked. But, um, it's anyway, like your yeah. version of like hiding the person under the trench coat right <laughs> exactly exactly just yeah. make a bun in your hair you look That'll older do it. yeah <laughs> okay so polk street back so this would be the early 80s i think it was like this this late, late 70s and when was it and what was it that told you you wanted to be in san francisco like not just go up and visit oh well i went to college in the 80s and um i went to san diego state Yay, Aztecs. Um, loved it down there because, I mean, it's San Diego, and how can you not love it? Weather and Mexican food, right? Yeah. yeah. Beaches, mm-hmm. wonderful people, great, you know, everything was great about it. Mm-hmm. And um, except for the, the, I'm a, I was an accounting major, a business major, and the job market when I graduated in the mid-80s was not great down mm. there. Okay. And so I came back home and I got a job at a CPA firm in San Jose, which was amazing. It did all the startup companies and one of them was Apple Computer. Heard of it. You know, Mm -hmm. and so we were a beta site using their portable computers, which were like two feet by two feet boxes that we got to cart out to audits. Yes. But um, still, I always wished I could live in San Francisco. Okay. And it wasn't until I worked there for another four years-ish that I moved to a different CPA firm up here in the city. Okay, so late 80s. Were you, here, yeah. were you up here for the earthquake? I was living in the marina. Oh, yeah. yikes. Yeah. Did your place burn? No. Oh, good. On Chestnut Street, it's on built on bedrock. Okay. Um, but across the street, all the way to the water, the it was landfill. wavy wavy ground. It was very scary. Wow. But... Um, 
Yeah, that so was amazing. You had kind of had a front row yes. to a lot of distress, yes. like devastation. Yes. Yikes. Yes. Well, I like to end even little stories on a high note. So before we throw it over to your husband, can, yeah. can we hear like maybe something awesome about your move to San Francisco? Oh, well, that I was know, just I, one of the events. That was I know it. I dug in on the earthquake. Yeah. But. It was still awesome to be in San sure. Francisco. Sure. Um, I mean, you go downstairs. If you don't feel like going out, just walk around the block because it's so exciting. And that's when I actually got a taste for loving theater mm. is we would, there used to be a columnist in the Chronicle named Herb Kane, mm-hmm. and he would always write about the great restaurants, the happenings in San Francisco. And my best friend was living in this studio next door. And we would, when we, we would pick out of his column, what to go see so we started to go see theater and made a commitment to at least once a month go see some live event and i really enjoyed it as an audience member okay so anyway i'm working here as a cpa did not got to the point where um it wasn't what i wanted to do the rest of my life and somebody dared me to think about what is it, what's your dream? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, winning an Academy Award. And okay. she said, wow, I didn't know that you were into acting. And I said, I'm not. I just want to wear the dress. I want to go to the event. <laughs> and um, I thought it would be really cool. And so she said, well, why don't you take an acting class and see what you think? And she signed me up for an acting class that was as a dare that was at the back of a shoe store in Sunnyvale, California that two guys that had just moved back from New York. They were like 20 years old, started an acting school and I started taking the classes and loved it and never stopped. Okay. I love that. That's so that gets you into actual production. Yes. And you know, being part of now I'm in the acting world. Now you're there. Bill? I actually originated in the Midwest, um, suburb of Chicago, Evanston, oh, Illinois, yeah. mm-hmm. and also spent my high school and college, undergrad college years in uh, Arizona. My dad was a got a college job at ASU, so we moved to Tempe, so ASU I Tempe, finished yeah. high school in Tempe and went to ASU, Okay. and then I actually went back to Northwestern to go to grad school um, in the theater. Okay. Um, so theater was something you've known for a while that you wanted to do. Yeah, I'd say, you know, when I was uh, really young, I was an instrumentalist, mm-hmm. played the oboe. And I, okay. I'd i never given theater a second thought, mm-hmm. really. But I had to play oboe in the pit orchestra for our my freshman year for our production, production okay. of the Mikado. And uh, I was just like, I, I describe it as being hit by lightning. Mm. There I am playing the oboe and I was just dumbstruck like I thought what the heck am I doing down here in the pit oh when I could be up on stage up and the there. conductor would I was hypnotized yeah and it would just hit me from nowhere because I'd never thought about the theater at all right and the conductor would literally throw his baton at me because I would miss my cues and so the next year I tried out for the musical which was carousel and I got the uh, second lead of Mr. Snow and the next oh, year wow. I played Freddie and my fair lady and did you know and you I could really sing? never looked back from did you that. know you could sing already or oh yeah i what? always was a singer okay. always was my my family my parents are both musicians ah. so we grew up in music right music was like air 
Mm-hmm. My dad was a band director, so I used okay. to say I could play Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars on every instrument in the orchestra because he would bring them home right. and show me a little bit about how to play each one. So wow. we always sang. Okay. We sang in church choirs and, and, and school choirs. Mm-hmm. So I always sang. But I never really imagined myself getting the lead in a musical, but obviously I sang well enough to get those parts. So my first shows were musicals, actually. Okay. And then... Um, Did you had, know right away that you liked doing it? Because that was a transition from band to, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. To absolutely. stage. I much preferred the stage. Okay. You know, I was smitten. I had a, a great high school drama teacher who um, was very, very passionate about the history of theater and oh, stuff nice. outside of just acting. And he really just inspired a lot of us with the desire to pursue that career, even when I was 15. Um, wow. He was also the JV football coach and dragged me in off of the football field to oh. be, in, be in his class. Interesting. He was so good that I, I often have said that I learned enough history of theater when I was 15 years old in high school that I never had to study again mm. through undergrad and grad school. It was I, just there. I already knew all that stuff right? because he was so good at it. Okay. You know, so, you know, I was I was making up seasons when I was, you know, which is what an artistic director does. I was literally sitting on my floor in my bedroom with little scraps of paper, constructing the seasons, the plays that would be wow. in the season. And at like what age? Sixteen. Oh, wow. Okay. Sixteen, seventeen. Okay. What brought you to San Francisco? And roughly when? Well, I. As a kid, I loved San Francisco. You know, I mean, the parents would bring us out here on a trip. So you would visit. I remember sitting at um, what was the football field? And Kizar? No, 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 not Kizar. Candlestick. Candlestick. Yes. We went to Kim. We came from Arizona, so we thought it was going to be all warm and cozy here. <laughs> yeah. And here we are in our tank tops and shorts, <laughs> freezing our asses off. Yep. In candlestick, yeah, you know, cover trying to cover ourselves with newspapers and stuff. But I was really, definitely smitten by by San Francisco. I came back a couple more times, saw shows. I remember seeing Cabaret at probably the Geary or the Golden Gate, mm. and so I associated San Francisco with theater. You know, but I didn't, I didn't really pursue theater after college. I started, I got involved in 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 playing in rock bands and. Oh, country western bands. You mentioned you're an instrumentalist. Turned around for a while. Playing back then, piano. Okay, and I went. I sort of migrated from uh, Chicago back to Phoenix to L.A., making my living as a musician. Moved up here, making a living as a musician, and wondering what had happened to my theater theater career. You know, and then I, sometime when we were up here. I ended up migrating back to the theater, started okay. going on auditions, okay. plays. Roughly when was this, and, and have you been here basically ever since? It would have been probably like early 80s. Early that I started 80s. That I, cause I remember one of the things that drove me out of the music business was having a daughter be born. You know? okay. And then you're up till 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning and never getting any sleep at all. So That'll do it. I said, that's it. You know, so if I wasn't working weekends, mm-hmm. I could then try out for plays. Right. So that's so I migrated back to the theater, and I've really I've been in, I've been 
pretty much 100% devoted to theater ever since. Okay. Does that get us enough of you both in the theater to your meeting? Well, yes, because I'd say a bunch of years later in the late 90s, Susie was had taken classes and she was, I think, she was up here taking a class in San Francisco at a place called the Gene Shelton Acting School where okay. I had also studied okay. and where we had some common friends mm-hmm. and um, we met outside on the street outside of a theater and... I'll take it from there because he likes this story. But there is another one. Because I knew of Bill because he and his friend Louis Parnell did a lot of small theater productions around town. Okay. They were, you know, what you call a nomad theater company where mm. they'd rent a space and put up a show. And I knew of them because as part of my acting class, they recommended that we went to see shows. And so I volunteered one night, I volunteered to work the concession stand in order to get free ticket at a show that both he and Louie were in. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, that guy's cute. <laughs> but uh, the program said he dedicated the show to someone, and I thought, oh, well, I guess he's married. Mm-hmm. Um, but through the next several <laughs> years, I would see him at parties and things like that, and he wouldn't give me the time of day. But at this one fateful night, he came to a show, and I was sitting next to one of his friends. And afterwards, the friend said, hey, Susie, you want to join us? We're going across the street for a drink. And I said, yes. Do you remember where the drink, like where the bar was? Or Yes. It's, um, I believe it is now called the Adriatic Hotel. Okay. I think it's changed hands, right? It's across the street from the Clift ish. Oh, so around here ish. Yeah, up, up, over on up. Geary Street. Okay. On Geary, it, it's a big white hotel now, but I can't remember the name of what it used to be called, but it, it's across from the Clift. Okay. Anyway, um, so we were in there, and he was bemoaning the lack of good new scripts. And okay. I happen to have a friend who works in L.A. who's also a theater person that I had done a play with who had literally just suggested to me that she was given a script that had a perfect part for, for her and I and that we should figure out a way to produce it. And so when he said, oh, gosh, there's just no good scripts, I have one. And he said, yeah, sure. I've heard this before. Ulterior motives flying back and forth across the table. (laughs) So he told me to send him the script, which I did. Um, Now, these are the days you have to actually mail Mail. things. Yes, I heard a comedian last night talk about stamps and like kids today are like, how much is that? A hundred dollars? Because no one knows how much a stamp costs. Or how much every envelope, main right. stamp you had to you get need. an envelope like, big enough to have to stick an entire yes. printed script into, and yes. then you don't have a cell phone either. Correct. So you have an answering machine at home mm-hmm. that you go home and you check and see: Did they get it? Did they respond? What are they going to do? So anyway, I I mailed it to you, and I remember coming home one day and listening to the messages saying, "Hi, this is Bill English, <laughs> and you've done." An amazing thing. First of all, people say they have good scripts, but they're not really good. And this is really good. And second of all, people say they'll mail it to you, and then they never do. Would you like to get together and talk about it? Yes. Uh-uh. 
I think they call that follow through. Yes. You followed through. Yes. And you were delighted. Okay. And then what? Well, it obviously turned into a first date. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit, like, where, where was that? We went to, I think it's still there, Zarzuela on, I lived um, in Russian Hill, and okay. Zarzuela's is a tapas restaurant that mm-hmm. I think is still there, a very mm-hmm. popular one. And We so, can fact check that. Yeah. And <laughs> I hope it lasted through the pandemic. Right. But, um, so we went, he suggested that we get together and have dinner, and so we went there. And, um, of course, I'm like, is this a date or is this a business meeting? And then he said to the waiter, he said, get us your best Spanish wine. And I'm like, it's a date. Yes. Okay. (laughs) He knows what I'm going to say next. And then when the bill came, we split it 50-50. And I went, it's not a date. Date. Oh, man. (laughs) And what year was this? We met in 97? 97. 97. Okay. And Mary... We can remember the date that we met, particularly because it was a... Oh, when we met at the theater, it was a fateful night. It was the night that Princess Diane and Dodie died. That was the big news that everyone was talking about. October? August 31st. August. Another month that starts with a vowel. Okay, August. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then married when? Um, 1999. Two years later. Two years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it was pretty. It was pretty instant. Yeah. Once we started dating, I don't think we ever stopped. And the play that Susie sent me ended up being kind of our courtship because we did produce it. Yes. So that Linda, her friend, and Louis Parnell, my best friend, the four of us, created a little company and we produced the play. And at the end of it, we were still talking. So I thought, (laughs) this is good. This is a thing. (laughs) What was the little company called? Oh, I think we used Louis's name. Wasn't it Genesius? No. No, we had our own name. What was it? The Dream Stackers. Dream Stackers, of course. I love it. Okay, now, and so that's basically, that's, am I wrong, part of the story of SF Playhouse? Oh, for sure. That was the first play that we produced. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't SF Playhouse yet, but eventually the interest the, we had in producing theater led us to form a company like a beta version yeah. yep definitely stay in definitely. silicon valley yeah i mean we never stopped producing together because we both became members of the actors theater company mm-hmm. and continued to produce there and then at a time we were having a parting of ways with that company we literally walked outside to the sidewalk on sutter and there's still a building there with a for sale sign on it with Greek pillars that had a for rent sign at the time and I know people had been calling for years and years to get into that space and no one ever answered the phone but that day we looked at each other and said let's just call and see if we can get that space and Bill called we got the space and that's where uh, we went and we wanted to we had a couple plays we wanted to do and then after we did them someone recommended that we get a subscription and so we asked the audience if we do keep doing plays would you keep coming they said yes and that was where san francisco playhouse truly was born in 2003. that was bill english and susie damilano co-founders of san francisco playhouse please join us for part two this thursday wherever you get podcasts. 
Music for Storied San Francisco was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our sixth season, we have more than 200 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're able to, please rate and review the show and drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Keep rejecting those silly doom loop narratives about our city. Stay wacky, weird, healthy, and creative. And we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. We acknowledge and respect the first humans of the unceded land we call San Francisco, the Ramaytoshaloni. We condemn the genocide of these and other tribes across the Western Hemisphere. We honor their legacy and history, and we support rematriation and sovereignty efforts. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.